Pilly found some space, took the mark, lined it up. Oh, the bottom strikes early. Garcia marks, plays on. Can he finish? Bailey Smith, the dogs have got all the flow. This will bring the house down if Bailey Smith knows it and lets the crowd know. And balls to English on the run. The Ruckman, a long ball, a glorious ball. Slid the handball in to Lork and straighten onto his right. He's got time, he's got space, and he's kicked up beauty. Now Jamari Gilhagen kicks it wrong. It's a got and what a carry. That's something extraordinary. It's five for the night and the dogs are home. Welcome to the Salty Bulldog, the podcast that would like to remind its fans, since Josh Dunkley requested a trade, the Bulldogs are unbeaten in finals. My name is Matthew Donald, your regular co-host of the Salty Bulldog. And, well, I actually was going to introduce uh, my co-host today as Latham Vandermeer, but it is someone else who's notorious for picking up hamstring injuries. It is Nick Galea. Nick, welcome to you. Firstly, how are you? Oh, well, hello, everyone. Hello, Matthew out there. Yes, uh, to put it bluntly, I am a, I am living the dream. That's what I can say. Um, yes, there's not, nothing better than returning to the uh, to the cricket field, um, you know, playing your first game of the season and pinging the string in a, in a second innings uh, fielding effort there. So i just got to give uh, props to my uh, teammate who bowled the delivery, the wonderful long hop, and it went all the way to the boundary for four. So I never really had a chance, but, you know, try telling that to me. And then, off, you know, string goes bang, effectively, as BT would say. So you're going to blame your, your teammates, are you? I will. I, I'm blaming my teammate for that rubbish delivery that he bowled. It should have got hit for six. At least it would have stopped me from having to chase it. Oh. Well, oh, so, so well, that's quite amazing on a couple of fronts. Firstly, that you know you're you're not prepared to accept responsibility for your own uh, your own actions. Not Second, at all. Secondly, that it's already the start <laughs> of cricket season. It's yeah, gone yes, quick, we're back hasn't into it? this. Yes, yes, it has. This is wonderful. Like I remember when we were starting out early. We'll tap into the season properly, but um, in our early early episodes, um, this is back when I was having a fractured wrists and I was in a cast and I actually had to get stitches on my knee at the same time too. So it's um it seems like we're back in the old heyday of Who, the Salty Bulldog podcast here. Whose fault was you that know? one though? Was that was that someone else's fault too? No, that one um, I'm trying to think the the kneecap one, oh that was oh, that was the, the city of Melbourne's fault, I reckon. Um <laughs> uh the the, the the thumb or the wrist one exactly that was that was probably my fault from indoor soccer <laughs> so it's always something going on a couple of other things but uh, we'll, we'll let it slide on so yes I, I take it uh, um, you're not in a in a particularly uh, a crippled frame at this point in time Matt yes reasonably fit and able now I've fantastic got, uh, oh wait you're fit without the fitness and you're able without doing anything so fantastic <laughs> yeah no I've I've got uh, I've got reasonable. Uh, full use of all four limbs at the moment, which uh, I think is, you know, that's always a, that's always a tick, always a good sign. Indeed but it is. Let's move on because clearly yesterday was not great for you at the cricket. Let's instead talk about football. <laughs> well, we're here for which wasn't which wasn't great for us for six months. No, no, it wasn't wasn't either. <laughs> but you know, at least we didn't walk away with any any major injuries uh, on that front. This is actually our first episode since the. Or, or since the since we reviewed the Geelong match and reviewed what was ultimately the end of the season, so actually been mm. a been a good couple of months. Great final mm. series. I thought we were unbeaten as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, this as, is as fantastic. I say, as I say, Josh Josh Dunkley uh, has now lost more finals than the Dogs have since he left the club, which I think is reasonably telling. 
success, 75% success rate to, well, because we haven't played in the final, we can't lose those finals. So smart thinking dogs, yep, well no, done right there. They've they've done well there. Look, we, I, look, it was a disappointing season, I think, all up. Like uh, upon reflection, is, is anything, is anything really, has anything changed for you on that front upon having a couple of months to sort of walk away from the season, think about it a bit more? Is there something that, is there a thought that's come up that wasn't necessarily there once the season immediately finished for us? Well, let's have a look. I think we saved ourselves the, the embarrassment of being Carlton's first finals victory. That's so there's that. I can take I can take solace out of that. Had we defeated them, um, I as you much as I don't fear the deeds, you would have wanted another I, go against Melbourne. I would have wanted another go against Melbourne, but considering just how. Oh, not pre- how predictably unpredictable we are or were this respective season, we probably wouldn't have been good enough to capitalise on that opportunity. But I, I still am adamant. I, I'd be very keen to see us go against them again. I just wish the boys would have a bit more, you know, kahunas to, to realise it's just a game of football. You know, bygones are bygones. Things have happened. You can rectify the situation. And I would have loved to have just seen us have an opportunity to knock them out in the final, which would have been, you know, going some way to ease the pain. And then quite likely would have been incinerated by the Lions of the Gabba. <laughs> the Gabba, so, yeah. Ultimately, winning the Premiership was probably beyond us, even if we snuck in. Mm. Yeah, this would have probably been, I know people talk up like the, the miracle of 2016 or you know, how we went about it in the 2021 final series. For us to have, and I'll say this, for us to have won this year's flag would have taken the biggest miracle because I'll put it bluntly, we flat out sucked after round 10. Yeah, it was a very disappointing back end to the season, wasn't it? Yeah, 7-3 record and we only were able to, oh, bar the Geelong, I can't believe we still beat Geelong of all things. Imagine that, beating the Cats at the Cattery and still missing finals. Well, the last it all came we... down to our final season and we still did that. So, so the, last, the last two times we've beaten Geelong down there, we've gone on to miss finals. So maybe losing to them down there isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yes, yes, indeed. Oh, very good, very good. So we've just got to continue being, um, you know, being the whipping boys for the cats uh, for the next 20, 30 years. And uh, it's okay. Everything's fine under the sun. <laughs> well, let's have a bit of a look at what's happened since, because we've already talked a lot about the, you know, the, the season. We've done that in, in past episodes. But there's been a lot that's gone under the bridge in the off-season so far. Uh it depends what sort of order you want to do it in. We, we've got to start with the Brownlow medal, which we haven't really touched on uh, since we didn't properly preview that and obviously haven't had an episode since Marcus Bonapelli with a second runner-up uh, position in, in the Brownlow. Did it in 2021. He's done it again in 2023. He's, he's, he's getting shafted in a lot of things, be it the rising star, be it the goal of the year, be it another goal of the year attempt yeah. in 2021. He's just unfortunately for him, it just seems the number two is just such a common theme. And he deserves a lot better than that. He deserves a lot better than that. He's got a remarkable CV, but it could be a lot more remarkable. Yeah. And that's just the, yeah. yeah. Mm. Just to space it out there, that shows you the bloke is undisputedly the best player in the competition. And I will agree with you now. Uh, Not that I didn't disagree per se. I just wanted to see what could be done to get the accolades to, you know, line up with the hype. Uh, and unfortunately, because, you know, the the world, wonderful world that is the AFL industry, um, I highly doubt he's going to get the CB that he deserves. Um, yeah, screw it. He is the greatest dog of all time. So what? let's just put it out there. 
I, I think even without the accolades. Yeah, no, I just would, I just would have liked to have seen yeah. his listing be up there now. But well, it's up to the club to help him get there. But uh, yeah, I'll, yeah, I think it's pretty well undisputed now. That yeah, this, no, this man is is the best, and this is a different side of things here because he's got now five Charles Sutton medals. Uh, and another runner-up in the Brownlow. We had, obviously, Scott West was, you know, runner-up in the Brownlow a couple of times there. But I'd like, and this is going to sound a bit sacrilegious too, if, you know, best and fairest is the best and fairest. You know, it's always amazing. Um, I'd like to say that Bontempelli has done it, like, reflected this way. His two best and fairest, or two of his best and fairest wins have come in premierships and grand final seasons. Yeah. Scott West has had um, best and fairest in preliminary final seasons and as well as a wooden spoon and a uh, 14th place season as well. So we're seeing Bond and Pally, though, still do it in a team that even though the frustrated the bejesus out of us, um, he's always featured quite highly and at least in the top echelon of, you know, the top three side of things in a final season. Yeah, in very, you know? very good side. In very good season. Yeah in, a, in a, yeah, in a relatively decent team, you know, consistent side, one that's not fluctuating all over the place and, you know, they can hold their own. They're not well, been like a, a basket case. As you say, premiership side, best and, he's best and first winner of the premiership side and, and to do that is really difficult. And also... Yeah, let alone in your third year, mate. Let yeah. alone in your third season. And then, as you say, a best and fairest again in a, in a side that made the grand final. So he's demonstrated that he can do it in in the best sides in, in the competition, which I think is quite telling to be the best of the best. I'll just go through the, the Brownlow votes because we didn't, didn't fully recap that. So Bontepelli with 29 votes. Liberatore, I'm sure this is his best season from a Brownlow point of view. He picked up 17. Again, uh, yes, he would have. I can't remember specifically, but he would have polled a few votes in 2013 and 2014. Maybe not uh, to those extremes, though. But, yeah, definitely he'd be up there. I feel like his best was, without knowing and needing to check, I feel like his best was 14 in a season before this. That and it would have been around ring- then. Yes, yes, that probably would have been 2014 itself, I guess. Right. Tim English with 11 votes. I'm, I'm sure that's a PB for him too. That is definitely a personal best. Jamari Hagen with five. It drops off a bit after this. Jamari Hagen with five. Bailey Smith and Adam Trelaw with four. Bailey Dale and Aaron Norton. We'll talk about Norton a little later with three. Cody Waitman and Caleb Daniel with two. And Rory Lobb and Bailey Williams each picking up uh, a vote. There we go. 14 Brownlow votes for... Tom Libertori in 2013. Yeah, it wasn't good enough to make the All Australian squad that year as well. Yeah, well, that's it. it the year later, made the AA40 and got five Brownlow votes. Wonderful. Goes to show you what a what a mess the the Brownlow and the All Australian system is at the moment. An, an absent name from that mm. list I didn't mention: Jack McRae, no votes. Yes, which is the, a, Brownlow, which is a, a real when is, surprise. Yes, when is the last time that has ever happened? I don't even think that's ever happened. Uh, probably his first season, 20, hmm. 2013. He probably wouldn't have picked up any votes in that season. Possibly. Wait, just humor me here. Did he not play? He didn't play in the final game of the season, didn't he? No, no, he didn't. Yeah, oh, geez, he's, he's one of the unlucky buggers that missed out then on that uh, wonderful success of uh, of the cattery there. Yeah, he, he did. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious... We sort no of- Brownlow votes in first season, and he only had one Brownlow vote in 2016. So well, the perfect number is one Brownlow right. vote. So I that's all we need to do. I reckon as well that's the first time he's missed a game since mid-2018 as well. Jack yep, since that uh, 
since that five-game or six-game stretch, which cost him an AA. That's the thing, too. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit about him, I reckon, here, because there's obviously little murmurs and stuff. But first of all, just got to give him credit that he does deserve, despite this uh, very interesting season his end. Is what, three consecutive times AA? Yes. Yes, I think that's right. Yep, it would have made a squad in another year quite likely. Um, was, again, one of our few shining lights in the 2020 season where we were pretty putrid. Gave us one of the only two decent things that happened in 2018 <laughs> and probably one of the few players that actually improved their game in 2017 Yeah, and still didn't win the best and fairest. Yeah, yeah, I know, and I think that best and fairest may forever elude Jack McRae the way things are going at the at the moment. You mentioned murmurings about McRae. We'll get, we'll get to that later. We're sort of going to work our way through this episode chronologically. So we've got the Brownlow. I've dissected that. The best and fairest next. I think that's next on the list. Next are the big things that have sort of happened, uh, and you've already spilled the beans on this one, Marcus Bontempelli. His fifth Charles Sutton medal. Only six Bulldogs have managed that. Uh, it's a remarkable achievement. It, it I think statistically, it, it puts him in the very top echelon of, of Bulldogs players over the course of the history. So Scott West, you mentioned he's got seven. Hey, Gary Dempsey with six. Uh, John Schultz, Norm Ware, EJ Witten, and Bonds and Pelly are the others who have won five. So indeed, categorically, these are the sort of names that he sits among now. And, they're some of the best names that have ever graced the 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 game for the dogs, and he surpassed a, a he's comfortably surpassed a number of other greats as well along the way. So when we sort of say that Bontepelli is among the or is the best bulldog of all time, I I said this a couple of seasons ago. I felt like it was already there a couple of seasons ago, and mm. I think you're you're fully on he, board now. He, I think you were you were oh, yeah, yeah was, had one foot on the bus. There. Yeah, he was there. I just wanted to see some more reward, but not for him. Not that he doesn't deserve the reward. It's more like, come on, people, give him what he does. You know, give yeah, him what to, he deserves. Like the accolades to put it beyond dispute. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah, but because it might not happen, well, who cares? Let's just jump on fully yeah. now. Uh, he was. Oh, I mean, we did our top five. I don't think uh, either of us got the the top five exactly right. I, I went Bontepelli English to all. Uh, sorry, Bontepelli English Liberatore Trelaw, Daniel. You went Bontepelli Liberatore Trelaw English Richards. Uh, neither of us got the top five right. We both had English in it. He finished quite low down the order. So the order was Bontepelli yeah, Liberatore on uh, 278. So he's about 70 votes behind Bontepelli. Ed Richards, top uh, three. So you got uh, you got Richards right in the top three. Caleb Daniel, hey. Liam Jones, fifth, which was a bit of a shock given how much football he did miss this season. Yes, and and considering, I'll, I'll just put this out there, why on earth we use preseason games as part of the voting is beyond me. But um, we're still doing that. Yeah, oh. we still we did that. We got our preseason was dreadful too. We got votes for the North Melbourne game in our intra club match. What? Yeah. Um, Surely, surely they, were, they weren't counting votes for that not. game in Ballarat, were they? Oh, I, I hope they weren't. I don't think so, but I hope they weren't. No. Um, what else that, was there? That cost Liberatore best and fairest last year, that. So just, yes, it did. So just for, for those it's who... It's odd, though. It's odd because we used to base it off, uh, or generally off player availability, but to see Liam Jones do quite well, I said, is either a very good thing or a very sad indictment on the rest of the list that couldn't make up that you know, four or five game difference. So so just for those who are playing along at home uh, in terms of how the voting system actually works at the dog. So Luke Beveridge and his four assistants give everyone who plays a score between zero and five. So 
the maximum you can get is 25. The minimum you can get is zero. So over the course of a season, the most amount of votes you can get any player is 575 votes. Bontepelli got 342. So I think that works out to be about an average of 13 or 14 votes per game all up. Uh, so that's how the votes are, uh, are categorized. So as we sort of go further along, it uh, it stands out a, a fair bit that um, not many players did particularly well over the course of the season. So I mentioned the top five. And yes, Liam Jones, he missed five games, Jones, this year only. It felt like he missed a, a lot more than that. Uh, Bailey, uh, sorry, Adam Trelaw only missed four games, as did Ed Richards. I mean, these were guys that missed huge chunks of football during the season. It felt like they missed a lot more football than what they actually did. But they only missed a handful of games. But I think it says a lot about those that played every game this season uh, to finish not just below them, but considerably below them. Uh, so I'll go through it. I'll go through it here. I've got them written down. So Bontepelli, 342. Tom Liberatore, 278. Ed Richards, 193. Caleb Daniel, 190. So pretty close between third and fourth there. Liam Jones, 172. Adam Trelaw, 165. Tim English, 160. I, I'm actually really surprised that English finished that low. I, I'm intrigued by it, but I can see the merits of it in that side of things because there were games, despite statistically, where he was putting out some fine performances and even, you know, dare I say the, uh, the name, you know, super coach performances. <laughs> His influence on particular matches still wasn't as up to scratch as what we would have liked to have seen. You know, there were some matches where there was an opportunity for him to, you know, effectively ragdoll an opponent and, and it wasn't there. You know, we got, we just got to say, of course, there were some matches where he was having some fine influence, you know, and obviously that, um, that first Port Adelaide game, you know, his absence from the field of play for an extended period of time was sorely missed. Yeah. As well as, of course, Bonson Pally in that too. And that was just, that was just diabolical, from to say the least, um, yeah. in, in that side of things. But, uh, hmm, I don't know, good, good football, though. I still wonder, you know, it is interesting. He's probably had a better season, again, statistically, and probably, uh, you know, play-wise than last season, and yet and all Australian his featured lower. As well. He was, he was good. Like, I, I still it was thought a very good look, season. Yeah, I'll, we'll take it, of course, but yeah. I still... We're not. I think you and I aren't completely still sold on that idea. I mean, we still think that he's probably more of a forward ruck. But we're going yeah. I will give him praise for admitting that. Yeah, he still does have. A, he does still have some faults. And of course, apparently, when Brendan Laid was brought to the club last year, English was one of the first, you know, people to to reach out to him, congratulate him on the appointment, and say, "What do I need to do? Yeah, no. How, I, how am I going to get better? I think English has always been very, very determined to be the best ruck in the competition, and I've, I've never disputed that. The thing I've disputed is I think the Dogs as a team have a greater chance of success with him being the forward ruck. Indeed. Uh, and we'll we'll get to that discussion a bit later on because there's a bit of contract news around that as well. Bailey Dale, Aaron Norton and Jamara Hagen round out the top 10. Jack McRae and Bailey Smith finished 14th and 15th respectively. A special mention to Jason Johannesson who finished 13th, only 86 votes, but he played just 11 games this year. And again, that's again, I think it's good to see that in this comparison, sorry, this time around, that matches played maybe wasn't a major indicator. You know, sometimes like last yeah. year, you've got to see the benefits of it. Not because you know, Dunkley didn't deserve to win last year. He was a fine footballer last year. Can't yeah. begrudge that. But 
I think it's good to see that they were focusing more on okay, who was genuinely, you know, performing despite, you know, the, the amount of games. That doesn't mean, you know, um, you know, someone could have a poor season, then they could skyrocket back up and get there via courtesy of weights of numbers. You know, I'm still a fan of like average votes out to see how they go across a course of a season. Then just giving collectively here the here's the votes tally, but mm-hmm. you know, because I remember like back even like uh, I remember like the 2009 Charles Sutton Medal. You know, our winner that night, Matthew Boyd, only had like 150 odd. So it seems like there's more votes to distribute now, possibly, even though it's the same system, zero to zero to five. Yeah. Um, it probably maybe reflects back then of maybe how even that side was and how good that side was, to be fair. Did they count preseason games back then? I hope they didn't. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. I think we only played a couple of them, if anything. But Because uh... if you extrapolate that, 86 votes over 11 games, so let's double that. That takes him to 172 votes in 22 games, and I know they played 23 games next, the this year, so there's an opportunity for extra votes there. That, that gets him top five finish, Johansson. Which... To be honest, if you look at how he played this year, he probably would have definitely been in our top 10 players despite placing 13th. And that was only courtesy because yeah. he did yeah, miss matches. Yeah. yeah, I think he was definitely in our top 10 players this year. And just putting aside the votes, in terms of average votes per game, I reckon he would feature definitely a fair bit higher. That's what I'm stating. Yeah, in that, well, in that yeah. Side of things. I haven't done the numbers on that, but I reckon you're definitely right on, on that front. In terms of average votes per game, he's mm. right up there. We are... We mentioned, of course, on, on the Wednesday, we had our uh, we attempted to do something called what was it, Twitter Space? And Twitter Spaces, that a, yes. That was a very interesting, <laughs> that was a very interesting situation there. But uh, um, we highlighted on that night that what we thought last year with Ed Richards placing higher wasn't the case, and then this year that he wasn't. He was better this year, I think, and there were some great moments last year too. We were glad to see him get again just rewards. So to yeah. see him feature as highly as it was was very very pleasing. Yeah, did he finish top ten last year? Did he? Did he even finish in the top ten? He might yeah, have done, but fin- low down. But yeah, he would have finished maybe eight. Yeah, yeah. That I rem- yeah, I remember you bringing that up, and and it got me thinking about last year's best and fairest count. I think we did have Richards in our top five, but we we definitely did. Yeah, he didn't get close. Well, but I, I think reward for effort this year. Do Do you think Richards was our third best player this year? Because it took me by surprise. Like he had a good year, but did he have a top three best and fairest kind of year? That's where I'm going here. It's more, well, his importance or his absence again, but drastically in our side of things. And we are definitely a better team with him, no doubt, in that side of things. But I reckon his impact on games, yeah, he was probably one of the more influential players to go around for, for the side this year, who was able to be essential in winning games for football, who would opposition teams put a lot of effort into, in, into stopping who is our main drivers of the ball, considering when you factor in that our half-backs this year, which has generally been a position of strength. Unfortunately, this year, it wasn't the case, you know. The likes of Bailey Dale, Bailey Williams are a bit all over the place. Uh, Johannesson, of course, being injured for a large chunk of the season. There was a lot of responsibility uh, thrown onto Ed Richards as well um, mm-hmm. to not only take his defensive game, which was fantastic last year, but to, again, bring back the balancing act of his offensive game which we have probably haven't seen. Not that he's never, he can't do this, but we haven't probably seen his offensive game uh, down back for, for quite likely, I probably reckon 
probably since his debut season because we've thrown him all over the place in the years after that. 2019 along the wing half forward, 2020 for crying out loud as a small forward, 2021 he was a bit injured and I, and I would happily say this too, um, when he was fit, he played straight away and I think his absence mm-hmm. again in the back half of 2021 was exceptionally telling for, for certain things um, towards that portion of the season. And again, that's another thing that probably would have cost us too. I think, because he's a very good matchup for those medium forwards who either display large athleticism or they're very pacey at ground level mm. and a good marking size. And that's the difference. Richards can play on those types of footballers. His very response, important footballers. His, his response since that 2021 season has been really impressive. And I, I just sort of want to stress that as well. At 2020, he, didn't have, he played a lot, but didn't have a great season in terms of playing. And 2021, Indeed. his absence wasn't his own, wasn't entirely his own fault. He had a he couple was, of injuries as well, tenth, which were pretty nasty. Tenth last year, Ed Richards. Oh, so yeah, he only just snuck in. Uh, he was in, two in votes, two votes behind Dale, and for Law, six votes behind in eighth. Eighth spot, okay, and even so it was a bit seven of a votes, there. seven votes off Gardner in seventh. So technically, yeah. so it was pretty close. Six for yeah. ten. Yeah, um, but. Uh, but no, he's off the rest. Since, since 2021, where he missed out on most of the season, he missed out on the on the run to the grand final. It's t- 24 months since then have been fantastic. They've been really, really encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yep. Tony Liberatore Most Improved Player Award last year for Ed Richards. Mm-hmm. And that year, this year, it was Tim English. And you, you touched on his... Uh, the conversations that he had with Brendan Lade that were made public at the, the Charles mm. Sutton medal. Indeed. Uh, and he, he would have done some great work too, because this is a sad thing too. He's done some fantastic stuff with Lade and Stephen Martin as well. Yeah. Who again, you know, came across on that two year deal playing contract, uh, playing coaching contract. And this is his third year at the club. And I do hope he starts to stay personally, Stephen Martin, that is, because again, he's a very good footballer. People might've been critiquing, Oh, what a waste of a draft pick, you know, Trading it over, what was it? it was sixty three and uh, no, it was seventy and uh, Lockie Young for Stephen Martin and, and, and a swap of picks. Yeah, it's a three Melbourne. way deal. Who, who cares? Who cares? Yeah. It was perfectly fine because it, it hasn't. It's not going to cost you anything. It's a fourth round selection. No, no, I, no. I, I agree with the and look. If the dogs almost, on, if the dogs uh, yeah, almost paid final, off, we don't question it. it. Almost, yeah. Yeah, it almost paid off. No, I, I no, I agree with you. Oh, hardly on that front. There's there's no issues uh, from my end with that one either. In terms of other awards over the course of the night, James O'Donnell won the Chris Grant Best First Year Player Award. Not sure how many competitors he had on that front, but I think he was a worthy weather all the same. There's a, there's yeah, a bit to work with impressed. O'Donnell. It's a bit very to work impressed with. to see because there's enough there to suggest that he, he is we, – we've needed – again, we've needed an athletic second-tall defender. And it's not just a type that knows how to, you know, defend and punch the ball and all that type of stuff. It's fantastic to actually have a key defender that is confident with ball in hand and will not lose themselves when under pressure to dispose of the ball in such situations. Because when you're down back, note to self, you're always going to be under pressure. And for him to be able to display, you know, large portions of composure and quite neat foot skills... You know, again, he's still pretty, you know, in, in pretty much the infancy stage of his career at this point in time. There's a lot to like. And unfortunately, we got to see him thrown to the walls in the forward line, which probably was a bit definitely unfair to him. But the second he was thrown down back, which is where he, you know, played a large chunk of his uh, 
uh, early VFL um, form in this particular season, he was looking good down there. And there's no surprise yeah. to see that he's that, that he's actually okay as a centre back. And it means if you're having an athletic centre back and a, you know a lockdown intercept type at the same time, that's how good Liam Jones is too. To be fair, it gives you that flexibility to play the equivalent of two fourth defenders, those two medium type defenders, not having to overload on on an extra tall to provide support for your teammates. You can still play then, which is what our best football is: two talls and four runners. That is our best defensive setup there. And even if it's going to have to deal with an opposition forward line of three talls, three and a half talls, technically, sometimes they might throw a floating ruckman there. That's four there. It's still probably the best defensive lineup we will be able to put out there because it suits our strengths in terms of moving the ball there. And you can't get away with that if you're having three key defenders that are all slowish and take an eternity to make a decision and, and aren't good under pressure with ball in hand. And this is, unfortunately, this is what was the case this year. We had Alex Keefe, we had Ryan Gardner, we had Josh Bruce. And the only time that the three defensive or three key defender method worked was it was in Adelaide. And that was in a, you know, bucketing conditions early this year gather round. And yeah. that's, that's, that's what I could think. The only time, because you're not worrying about having to run the ball out of your back line. You're there to just slam the ball and get the heck out of there. It doesn't make a difference about needing to be precise with your ball movements and, and getting it forward. It's just slam it on the boot and hope for the best. Do you think he can be a second tall? I'm, I'm he... confident he can be a second tall. I don't. I, I ideally think that at this point in time of their respective careers, I think Baslinger is suited to the third tall with the capacity to grow to the second because if okay. we could get yeah, away, can, with, if we could get away with Baslinger could, being a third tall, I reckon we could. I so still then, think our best form is with two talls, but again, if you have the right third tall, it can work wonders. My only query with with this at the moment is: okay, say Buzzling is a second tall. Uh, sorry, O'Donnell's a second tall. Buzzling is a third tall. Liam Jones and Alex Keith don't have much time left on the clock, and they're number one talls down back. Keith what, what, shouldn't be a number one tall, but yes. But what what happens then when when both of them leave? I can't imagine either of them have more than twenty four months left. No, Jones probably Jones could push Jones, it. I Jones Jones might. I'd say if if either like Keith, I'd say if either of them are, are going to get to another two years, Jones is definitely more likely. Keith has uh. probably got twelve months left. I reckon it'd be a stretch to get any more out of him than that. Indeed. And I'm not even sure he would be first choice any longer. No, that's yeah. the thing. The clubs, the clubs, I can understand sometimes why they would have selected certain players. The club's got to get to this stage, which is what we were hoping would have been the case this year. Be specific about who you're investing games into. Yeah. You know, and you and I have said this many a time. We literally wasted an entire year of not playing Luke Cleary. Yes. We've been better off pumping 20 odd games into him. Next year, I said, I've mentioned it to you within the first half. But if, if, excuse me, if things go downhill, which of course we hope they don't, but even if things were to still be, you know, going okay, I reckon, we need to see the likes of Luke Cleary, Harvey Gallagher, and Charlie Clark, and, and a couple of others probably too. Because you don't have to worry about being an old team or a young side because everyone worries about the age clock now and and in terms of what football is at this point in time experience wins 
You know, you can still keep going back to the same well every now and then, but it does need a little bit of pizzazz. It needs a little bit of energy. It needs a bit of spark to to rejig everything else. You know, I'll hop. This is again sound a bit odd because that team was amazing, but the 2011 Cats was quite an old side. It had you know some freaks of nature in that team, but a couple of things that were working. You know, everything's doing the oil. You're not going to have to change the whole recipe there. But at the time, Chris Scott just threw a few different names in, threw Mitch Duncan in, threw Alan Christensen in, and a couple of other ones there, you know, amongst the senior core. And it looked like a new lease of life. There was a lot more creativity on the ground. And there's another there's another name that I haven't even mentioned here, Arthur Jones. Can he, can he be the ideal Bobby Hill type thing? Because we are looking for that type of player. That's why we've gone after Waitman. That's why we've gone after Charlie Clark. That's why we picked up Arthur Jones and all these other types of, you know, small-ish, medium-type forwards that, that have what you and I have discussed. They might have low production, but high impact. Yeah. Because that's what we need to see. Quality touches. Make them count, you know? That's well, why that- people weren't losing their minds over a zero-touch game from, from Artie Jones because he actually still had an impact in that Carlton match. Yeah, or whatever match it was. The, the port game. The port yeah. game, thank you. Yeah. I, ideally, you do want him to, you know, actually. Ideally, you do. Now and then. But I get what you're saying. I, I, I do I do get it. And he adds something that no one else on the list currently does. And I think there's a yeah. few Bulldogs that they've looked to commit to playing or giving games to and, and developing them through actually playing them on the regular. And James O'Donnell's one of them. Caleb Poulter is another. Arthur Jones, you, you mentioned as well. Uh, Luke Cleary is one that's probably missed out. Sam Darcy would have played more games this year, bar for for his injuries. But I, I think they've I think they've started to to recognise that you know that they've got to be playing the the next generation. Jamar Eagle Hagen is still young, and they've they've played him at every opportunity in the, in the last couple of years as well. Uh, and we sort of forget remember, about remember how they were forget about yeah, remember they were right? saying we weren't playing him a lot too in twenty twenty one. But you know, this is what happens: you give them the time, you bide the time, they get to produce the goods. Yep. When they're ready. Yep. And for key forwards, that's not necessarily overnight. But he's come on in leaps and bounds very quickly, Jamar. And, you know, I could see him making a, a – I could see him getting to that 50-goal uh, mark next season. Other award winners, uh, Caleb Daniel won the Brad Johnson Best Team Player. Liam Jones, the Scott West Most Courageous Award. What a fantastic season for the Liam Jones. Marcus Bontepelli with the John Van Groningen Domestique Award. Adam Trelaw won the Coaches Award. Uh, Buka Kamas, we'll talk about him as well, won the John Schultz Community Award for his off-field work. Lockie McNeil, the VU Education Award. And you want to talk about Lockie Sullivan, who took out Footscray's Best and Fairest Award as well. I was going to say, did Lockie Neal win any awards? Uh, I haven't, not not that I can see here, although he probably probably picked up three votes for something he didn't do. Uh, I'll get back to that. Yes, indeed. Not to worry. Sullivan. Could he be on the club's senior list next year? Yes, it's interesting to see because he forgot to put himself in the draft calculations last year, didn't he? Which is a bit interesting. <laughs> so there probably would have been some other you know, clubs again too uh, taking note of his respective season and last season too. Uh, I think he put his hand up in the mid-season draft. draft. Yes, I think there were a yes. couple of clubs that were having a little look. I feel yes, like there are he, considerations. He his, I feel like there were clubs looking at him in last year's draft as well, which gives the impression that he did put his name in. So, Unfortunately, no. No, he, he forgot. He forgot about. It. They would have loved to have taken him. He just forgot to put his name in. 
<laughs> which is a bit different. But I uh, know I reckon there's I reckon there's funny buggers going on there. I don't reckon you forgot to put your name into the draft pool. Come maybe, on. maybe. No, 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 no. Something, no. I'm no. I'm I'm not buying yes. that. Something. That's funny a look. What we what there. we need what we need to happen here is uh, there needs to be a press release. Of Jordan Croft has done a hamstring and he'll be out for the next four months, even though you don't get out four month hamstrings. We just need <laughs> someone to not pick him up for the, you know, the first unless, two rounds. And, unless you're Clayton Oliver. <laughs> yeah, unless you're Clayton Oliver. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Well we're said. Not, we're not so, going down that, that rabbit hole. They're back, back to. No, no, no. We'll, 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 go, we'll go to that route uh, once the episode's concluded. I know people will be concerned when we turn to sort of inside midfielders at Footscray and they say, well, we picked up Will Hayes, that didn't work. We picked up Robin McComb, that didn't work. What's Lockie Sullivan? Why is Lockie Sullivan going to be different? I'm still, I think you and I are still filthy on uh, Will Hayes for what happened. We, we we thought he was actually okay. We enjoyed his role as a, as a pure wingman in that side. Yeah. I think he was I, harshly yeah, treated. I think so as well. Like, I think if he was one of only... He might have been the only player in that whole squad of 2021 that didn't actually play. Ben Cavara. Bar Don Bedendo. Oh, and Bedendo, yep. Yeah. No, I felt like that was a second. Yeah, Bedendo um, was the was the other one. But no, I felt like if you had to turn to Will Hayes because you were desperate, that's not a bad option, you know? Um, I I've, I think a lot of people have not felt the same with, with McComb. He's been given a lot more opportunities than Hayes, to be fair. So we know a lot more about what McComb does bring to the table. Uh, we now know he's not been offered a, a deal, along with uh, Tim O'Brien. Uh, Josh Bruce has retired. Mitch Hannon is another one who hasn't been given a, a contract either. Um, we'll get to all of that a, a little later on also. I, I feel like he finished, I mean, he finished third in the equal third in the JJ Liston, which is the equivalent female equivalent of the Brownlow medal made the team of the year. I he's toured away for a long time. I mean, if we're looking at, if you're looking at getting rid of players on a list, you say, right, well, who's going to replace Robbie McComb, for instance, because that's ultimately what it is. Everyone that goes out needs to be replaced mm. either just as a position type or as a, as a name or a number on the list. Speaking, speaking of replacements, uh, it is official now. Uh, 2016 Premiership hero Joel Hamling has joined the Sydney Swans as oh. a unrestricted free agent. Now remember, just to, find, just to find it to you right here, unrestricted free agent or anyone that is deemed a free agent now counts regardless of whatever club they've played for if they were previously delisted. In this case, Hamling yeah, was, Hamling of course, was delisted by Geelong. And then yep. with us, it was still a trade, but you know, if he comes out of co- – this is before these rules were introduced – now it is. If any player that was a free agent that was previously delisted at any point in time of their respective career, they can walk as a free agent. And we were almost a, a recipient of that rule, which was introduced um, at the back end of 2018 uh, with Billy Gowers, of course, when yes, he was uh, delisted Carlson. from Carlson, of course. Yeah. And then we picked him up and then, you know, he was out of contract after that one respective year. And they're thinking, oh, we're going to lose him for free now after, you know, giving him a go. So it's a bit it's a bit interesting to see how these things all work, but uh, yep, just throwing that in there quickly. We would like Hamling and go well. And uh, well, well, we're not going to get him now because he's at, at Sydney. But I think if you're Indeed. looking at if you're looking at players who leave the list, replacing Robbie McComb with Lockie Sullivan, I'd see I'd see that as an upgrade. Yes, we don't like the idea of sideways trades and super coach, but when it comes to you know AFL or you know Aussie rules list management, it's acceptable. I reckon. Because the whole the whole season, or sorry, the whole 
um, the whole point of the offseason, rather, I think for the dogs, is less about, and I, I said this a little while ago, it's less about getting more Marcus Bontepelli's. It's about getting more Anthony Scott's. And you probably wonder why I mean by that and why I use Anthony Scott. Well, Anthony Scott is a great bottom six role player. He's sort of someone who has limitations. He's not going to be able to, he's not going to make any all Australian squads or win any best and fairest or anything. But he's someone who's got a competent skill set who can do a job on a regular basis consistently for you. And I think I'll just say, keep him away from the back pocket and then we're all good. (laughs) Aside from the back pocket, he's sort of okay. Uh, And, you know, people, I, I think people sort of question that. I mean, it's, it's, Setting aside the logistics and you know the of fitting another million dollar player into their salary cap, it's more about improving the bottom six of the side. The top end talent of the dogs, no problem, not an issue. Mm. Yeah, even even with English. the players, yeah, yep. even with the players that have departed, unfortunately for different reasons, it's still a very good top end. Yeah, and it's the, it's just the consistency, sort of the bottom half of the side, that's. The real issue, but if you can if you can add consistency and quality to that bottom six, allow them to do the jobs that most players can do. It frees up the likes of Bontempelli to be able to do the things that only Bontempelli can. It's the flow on effect through what you know, like what someone well someone like what Anthony Scott allows others to do, rather than necessarily what he does on his own. It's what he also allows others to do. We've said the same thing about Rory Lobb, a slightly different example. But his contributions to the side on his own, perhaps not that great this season. But look at what that's allowed Jamara and Norton. It's allowed them more opportunities. It's allowed Tim English to be fresher. And I imagine yeah. this, I'll say it. We've said it here too. We just saw what happened. Um, Sam Darcy was ruled out for the entire, you know, for a large chunk of the season. Barely played, didn't he? Three now, let's games. just, yep, yeah, barely played. You know, did his job in the VFL too. Would have been nice. And I think we might have been able to genuinely trouble sides had Darcy been able to, you know, get going there. But um, we got to see if English was injured, people would say, oh, well, where's our second ruck? You know, we got to see what happened last year with Bruce in there and Norton being thrown and and Karmas and Dunkley and whoever else it was, left, right, bob and centre. This year, it was an adequate second ruck who knew what they were doing. And we didn't get, you know, we weren't like lambs to the slaughter in those stages where English was off the ground. Now, Lobb's, again, a better ruckman for certain opposition types. You know, mm-hmm. I'd like to see Lobb come up against like a like a, like a Scott Lysett or a Jonathan Segler or a Max Gorn in that sense to provide that physicality. But against now, now again, in a different stage of their careers, if they're coming up against a, a Brody Grundy, now we have no issues sending Tim English to it. No. You know, pick your moments, pick your targets. And it can work out. Really interesting. All of those are uh, all of those awards, and one of them, which I mentioned, the community award, the John Schultz Community Award, won by Buka Kamis, who there's been a bit of conjecture uh, over surrounding his future. Last couple of days, he's signed a new one-year deal with the club. I think it's a pretty fair call, to be honest. A where one-year would, deal. That is. Where would you play him next season? Let's just say wherever he's going to play in the VFL, he's going to play in the AFL. Where are you playing him next season? Is it as a forward or as a defender? Where is Karmas going to succeed? Where is Karmas going to succeed? 40, what, drafted as a defender, of course, and spent the first part of his career there. Thrown forward in the last, well, partway through last year. Kicked 41 goals in 18 games this year. 
He was very good. I sort of watched him, watched him a fair bit in the VFL when average, I had the chance, and he was fantastic. You average over two goals at any level. That's that's elite, according to Champion Data. And you know, people want to take Champion Data rankings with a with a pinch of salt, and that's fine. But you average over two goals at AFL level. That gets you forty four, well, twenty three games, so forty six goals. That's putting you around the top ten for the Coleman Medal. And I know VFL and AFL are. are different in that respect but they're the sort of averages that Karmas was churning out in the vfl it was amazing that he was wasn't given more than one game over the course of the season but on form you thought he would have been given an opportunity and i know people say yeah but he had to take lob's spot and you know he was, he's not a forward ruck well then you, you you accommodate for that so how i would go with it next season because lob, lob wouldn't be in my best 22 he probably will play most games next year when fit because you know they've They've got to commit to him with the sort of salary that he's on. But my forward three would be Jamara, Norton, and Karmas. And, yeah, I, I know I prefer Norton as a back, but I'm going to give up that fight, I think, just about now. I don't think that's happening, especially now that he's signed eight years. We haven't even touched on that. We'll touch no, on that we haven't. We, yeah, we'll get to that. We'll get to that next. Uh, Jamara and Karmas are your two out-and-out forwards. Norton is your forward ruck. I think Norton as a as that sort of relief ruckman is not a bad option. I don't know how prepared they are to go down that path, but I think he's a decent sort of relief ruck option. Maybe not as good as Lob, but still all right. And then when he's in the ruck, he gives English a spell, or you can even throw English forward. So you've still got. Dare I say it? Dare I say it? Norton could provide the uh, how would I say the success. That uh, we've got to see Tom Hawkins do that, you know, feature yeah. as that forward ruck, not for long periods of time, but again, they're very physical types. That's what you need as a ruckman. Who is willing to get, you know, down and dirty? Who's willing to, you know, I've show seen, their strength? I've seen Aaron Norton wrestle Max Gorn out of a ruck contest, grab the ball and snap a goal. I've yep, seen that was him a, do that. That was, a, that was a fun game to watch last year, wasn't it? He, he can do that. I, I I think that would be and I think if you've got to reward players for effort. We've seen you know Jordan Sweet's efforts go unrewarded in the VFL this season and ultimately it's going to cost us being able to keep him. Uh I, I don't want the same thing for Karmas. I think if you're going to play well in the VFL and, and Beveridge has long rewarded players for form in the VFL, but didn't do it this season. And I think it's I think it's to the detriment of the list and to the senior side as well that you're not giving these informed players the opportunities that, you know, they would otherwise deserve. Let's talk about Aaron Norton, though. Eight years. <laughs> That's a pretty eye-ordering deal. That's the longest contract that any Bulldog player has ever signed. It eclipses Tom Boyd's seven-year deal. Yay or nay, Nick? Uh, massive yay. Massive yay. Massive yay. All right. Yep. I don't have an issue with it because... Hypothetically, let's say, well, he comes out of contract next year. What offers do you think other clubs are going to be throwing to him anyways? Well, we know that Sydney threw a 10-year deal that was worth upwards of $11 million. I think Geelong were throwing around something similar in terms of length. Yes, but uh, it's apparently only us that's being reckless. Factor it in here too. I'll mention this with other players. Okay, yep. Compare the Harrison-Hillenberg deal for six years. Um, Dan McStay deal. How long was McStay? 28 now? Oh, I don't, five I don't know whatever the, it was, exactly. something like, but something along those lines. You compare Eric Hipwood, how long has Hipwood been in the game for uh, since 2016 or 2017? Yep. Okay, what's that? 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. That's eight years already. 
he signed his deal then and there. Um, you know, Charlie Curnow's deal that he was signed for a long-term seven-year contract or whatever it was, despite being absent for three years up until last season. And people are having the, the audacity to complain about locking in a young key forward, a young bundling potential star. You know, he's still he's still a very good player, but he's not a star yet, but he's had a lot of, you know, he's got the aptitude to do it. Who's kicked the better part of 120, 130 goals uh, in the last three seasons combined. He's played a key role in getting this club to at least a, to the stage where people are now getting annoyed they're not doing enough, which again, considering our club's history, yeah. is a different shift in, the, in you know different shift in mentality. Okay, and that is important too because before it was oh we missed finals oh who cares it's good enough they tried now it's like yeah. what on earth is going on this is, this doesn't cut it you know and these types of players are the ones that can bring you to the finals we've seen them do that before and they can do it again but the thing is. Touch wood, he's still got to live up to the hype. He's still got to live up to the salary. But he's going to be getting paid for his best years, which is when he will be still in contract. He's going to be getting paid to the age of 31 when his best football has been produced. He's not going to be like Harrison Himmelberg, you know, good for him, but he'll be 34 still earning massive dollars on that deal. So imagine that for us. He's only, and he's only going to be playing half of his best football in that length of that contract. Norton Touchwood will be playing for the most part what we have, what we're paying him to do, and what we assume will be the case. At worst, a minus football for at least six or seven of those eight seasons that he's in contract. I think it's, I think it's pretty fair to be honest. So you you make an excellent point that no one's really brought up yet. And and a lot of people who have talked about this deal have gone and compared the sort of players that they think deserve that sort of deal. And they've said Dustin Martin and, and Lance Franklin, and that's all fine. So Franklin signed his nine-year deal with Sydney in 2013 when he was about he 26. He was 26 years old, 25 yeah. years old. To be fair, he's a freak of nature and yeah. he's already kicked 580 goals. My God. Absolutely. Absolutely all valid, but the key is that it takes him to 35. His best football is well and truly deserted by that point. Yeah. Dustin Martin he, just, signed, he was just a freak of nature to get that yeah, far. But he was amazing. Dustin Martin signed his deal in 2017. He would have been at about a similar age. I think it was seven years. It takes him to... Uh, Martin was eight years into his career at that point in time. So he would have been a 26-year-old, 27-year-old-ish. Yep. And he's still got one year to go on that deal? I think. Yep, and he had a good bit of football this year, but his influence is no longer what was. But he, obviously, he, what they've the done point for him, is, he's already paid off that deal anyway. But, but, but the, the point is, his best football has passed him. Aaron Norton has signed this eight-year deal And on now, big money. And, and on, on big, big money. money still. Aaron Norton has signed this eight-year deal at the age of 23. He'll be 31 when it ends. It's no guarantee, but there's a very good chance that he's still playing good football at that point. And you then wouldn't... you can come to terms with him at the yeah. end of that contract and say, hello, mate, we've looked after you. You've done very well. You're going to be on the downslide. Let's reassess your contract status now. No one would have expected that Buddy Franklin would be playing career best football at 35 or that Dustin Martin would be playing career best football at, at 34 or whatever it is. And that, that, was, that was the criticism that came with those deals at the time. Aaron Norton playing his best football at 31 is far more feasible than either of those two playing their best football at the end of their deals. So that's one That's one thing with that one. We're not, yes. I mean, we're, we're still going to get good football, you would expect, or you could reasonably suspect. By the end of that deal, Norton's still playing well. The other thing as well, which is, is interesting, and you, you touched on it a little bit also, 
Sydney offered 10 years at upwards of $11 million. If the dogs want to keep Norton, they've got to offer something similar to that. I don't think the deal that the dogs offered Norton that they eventually agreed on was what the dogs wanted to, no, to get. They might have. I said, I, from all I heard, it was originally meant to be a four-year deal. This yeah. is prior to all these Hail Marys being thrown at him. You know, it would have been maybe a five-year, maybe a, a two-year trigger on top of, which is pretty reasonable so in really, that side of things. So really, the dog's offer to Norton is dictated by the market and it's dictated by what other clubs are prepared to do. So the dog's ultimatum is get reasonably close to what the rivals are offering or be prepared to let him go because a four- or five-year deal isn't going to cut it. No, you're and that's, you're and gonna that's, have to. You're going to have to get really a good deal. So, yeah, although that's a fair deal, it's still not fair to the client. And this is where you know, I'll give props to the player agent Andrew McDougall here, saying, "Respect that your offer is very fine." And as you alluded to it just then, just just get within the ballpark because yeah. otherwise he's making his client lose four years additional. Yeah. And, six I, years. I, that's, and that's not right in that I, sense. I think that's sort of fair all round. I mean, McDougall and Norton, they've got to look out for themselves. Like, you know, I mean, Norton's got to look after his own financial security and his future, and McDougall's got to look after the client, and that's fine. And the dogs, you know, are, are, well, the dogs have got a very, very, very good centre forward on their hands. And we talk about a player who didn't have a great year. You've mentioned this a few times as well, and it didn't have a great year, still kicked 44 goals. Yeah, so, imagine. He's, he is, out of, out of all the forwards that are, that are there at this point in time, uh, the remaining forwards that are you know in, in the going to be into the prime of their careers, you know, like we look at Ben King, we look at Max King, we look at all these other players, Hipwood and whoever else there is, all these other types. Norton, other than Charlie Kerno, I'm talking again, those are within this age bracket, and besides Nick Larky, there's only probably three or four of them, and Larky's already done it because he's a, he's a star. I can't believe that guy gets so underrated. Seriously, he's been a star for years, for years. Um, Norton's probably the only one that's got the capacity to not only still be that 65, 70 you know, year goal kicker, but also provide the option of being a genuine man mountain. You know, none of those other forwards there possess the marking power that he has. It's two weapons in one there. He's got one sorted. We need to help him. He needs to help himself to get the other set fixed. Yeah. Oh, he can afford a goal-kicking coach now, at least. We know, we know that much. Just one other thing with, with Norton. If we're go- we'll disregard his first season because he played centre-half back. 189 goals in 105 games. It averages out to 1.8 goals a game. That's pretty, to- pretty reasonable for early stages career, mate. Yeah, I, I, considering, you know, he, he's not a forward. Let's, let's still, you know maintain that and he certainly didn't he certainly wasn't a forward when he started he's probably more of one now we've talked about the dog's history with key forwards or at least their lack of history i think it i I think there's a bigger picture here beyond norton i mean if he can maintain this sort of average and and plays out that contract there's every chance he's the club's all-time leading goal kicker by the end of it it's no guarantee but there's a good chance he'll be reasonably close I think that's the sort of that, that that's the sort of history that we're looking at with Aaron Norton, and I don't think it's exclusively why the dogs wanted to keep him. But I, I think there's a part of the club and the dogs that look at Norton as, you know, the, the potential to be someone that writes his name into that sort of echelon. Well, I mentioned earlier this year that my again one of my outlandish calls was that Norton still got a lot of things to work on. Um, 
that he is probably arguably seen as the next captain after Bontempelli. You know? And again, this eight-year deal probably potentially re-establishes that faith, you know? We've got a commitment to you. You've got a commitment to us. Let's work this out together. No, I think you make a no. I think you make great points on that one, Nick. I, I, I wasn't sure at the start with the eight years, but I've come around to it a, a little bit more because I think there's other factors that have come into play and and factors that are outside the dog's control that they've kept a close eye on. So no, I'm I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it ultimately. But yeah, I, I do think that there's a, there's now a lot of pressure on Norton. You know, he's prepared to take the contract, which is fine. Uh, but the dogs have said, all right, we're, we're committed to you, Aaron. Not, not anyone else, you. And, you know, that, that's not exclusively true because there's other key forwards, but that you're the man now for eight years and you need to come good on that. We, we, you know, we've got to try and turn that 40, 50 goals, Mark. We've got to try and get that into 65, 70. That's the next step. And it's a hard step. Don't get me wrong. And, and he can do key. it. He can that's do it. This key. is a guy, this is a player that is generating 100 shots or more in a season. He can do this. He can. He can, he can oh, get yeah. there and he can crash right through it, you know. I mean, for quite a bit, not get different types of players, but uh, I mean, we saw it took Buddy 200. Oh, what was it? I think Buddy kicked 113.88 in 2008. I that's, think that's about right. I think that's a lot of shots of goal. That is a lot of shots of goal right there. But it's still impressive to say the least. And I'm saying Norton's going to have 200 shots of goal. But imagine if he does. Imagine if he gets anywhere near the 150 mark, you know, what, what are his figures going to be? Well, even if he goes at 50%, there's 75 goals for you. Yeah, and you'll take it. We'll take that. You know, if anyone offers it, forget the accuracy factor. We're biting, you know, the hands off to take to have someone with 75. Imagine what that does for the forward line right there. Imagine what that does for Jamara and then for Lob and then yep. a couple of other smalls. Cast, the opportunities that will be presented for these players at ground level too when Norton's not marking the ball. And there's every chance that he'll be able to do that with Nick Coffield, who went, I think it was one one pick apart in the draft. He was he was pick he was pick eight in so, the twenty seventeen draft, and we that was probably just on the week of our first ever episode, I guess. Yes, yes, it would have been a it would have been about the time, and I'm pretty sure if you go back to that first episode, Nick Caulfield's name would have been brought up in some way, shape, or form. Yes, I think I mentioned though, respectively, in that one. Watch out for the redhead. You did, yes. You've, 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 yes, you've I, I won't let together. that one go, though, too. Yes, <laughs> no. I won't let that one go. But, uh, yeah. but back on Caulfield for a moment. He has informed St Kilda that he wishes to be traded to the Bulldogs. Now, he's a Bulldogs fan growing up, clearly very highly rated in his junior years. He went uh, as a top 10 pick in the 2017 draft. Hasn't played at all for St Kilda in the last couple of seasons. An ACL took away his 2022 and, and started the 2023 and has shown some good VFL form 23 season. touches in his four or five games back. Yeah, but uh, picked up a couple of injuries there as well. But he wants a fresh start and he wants it at the Bulldogs. Now, he's a reasonably tall sort of halfback type, but he's not hes not the type of halfbacks that we've got in Dale and Daniel and, and Richards and Williams already. He's a bit more of a defensive type halfback flanker. It looks like Third who- in the best and fairest for St. Killer in 2020. So his last full wow. season. Wow. I'm pretty sure that was the case. I'll I'm pretty confident that that was the case. Well, that, I don't think that was. I don't think that was his last full season. Maybe not. Maybe he played 2021. Yeah, possibly. But he's I, had a lot of injury riddle things. He has. I think this would be a, a great pickup. I always like it when we, you know, we've we've, yeah, we've been Trevor out of Barker Award. We've been out a a, a 
childhood Bulldogs fan since we let go of Lipinski. And congratulations to Lipper on the uh, on the premiership with Collingwood. Oh, I probably sold him a little bit harsh. Not harsh, but uh, there's props to Jack Steele. Jack Steele won the Trevor Barker medal back then. On 207 votes, Butler... 126, Dougal Howard, 122, Ron Marshall, 120, and Coffield, 119. So he's seven votes off second place. Oh, not bad. Admittedly, it's a, it's a long way away from Jack Steele, but still. Well, he, and he was very good in the final against us as well. Hey, he showed a bit too. Final. He showed a bit too against the Tigers the week after. Yeah. So, yeah, so take that back. Not third, it's fifth, but, you know, still, you know, best and first placings. What's going to get this one done, Nick? I don't think Saints fans are particularly pleased about the fact that he's going. He's, we know he's got some. No, time. no, they're not. They're, they are not pleased. At least the ones that I know, they're definitely not pleased. Yeah. So what, what's it? What's it going to take here to, to get this one done? I, I don't think we'll be coughing up any first round picks, but no, no, fortunately we won't. Um, what, are we, what are our current? What's our draft hand? It's very point in time, actually, because I'm intrigued. I feel like it will be though. It's only going to be. Uh, it's only going to be a. Involving specifically us and the Saints, or we might be able to factor in the Jordan Sweet deal with Port Adelaide, perhaps to have a have a three team trade because we all love we know how the AFL loves to have these mega trades. So surely we can yes. you know factor in another six or seven clubs into this. I'll get in touch with Adam Cooney, see what he can conjure up. For I'm you. sure this uh, is so, what we want to see. So at the moment, uh, our picks are 10, 17, 37, 66, which was the one that Liam Pickering said wouldn't get used. Uh, 69, 72, and 87. So we've got a lot of picks. Uh, not a lot of them have a heap of value, I suppose. I mean, we've got we've got two first rounders, but it, it drops off a little bit after that. Well, speak of it on this way. What about on face value? If we were to hypothetically turn, okay, Jordan Sweet to Port Adelaide, Port Adelaide's future third, Caulfield to the Dogs. Is that a win for us already? I, Turning I, Sweet into Caulfield. I think a third rounder for Caulfield is fair, and I think a third rounder for Sweet is fair. So I, I, I would, think I think yeah. that's a that's pretty that's a pretty fair yeah. deal, and I would like it to be not our respective third rounder too as well because I want to keep our picks because I think it would work too if Port Adelaide's future third would be oh, what are they What's we don't it? have we don't have a third rounder at the moment we don't have a third no we do not we have a future no. third rounder uh, Port Adelaide do have a third rounder though they've got pick forty six that's actually pretty fair I think that's actually bang on value for for Coffield and Sweet to be honest I think so. I think so too. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. Here we go. Yeah, get get me on the phone to Sam Power <laughs> and see how we go. And I'll put in my application. I know the club's looking for a couple of other things, but uh, yeah, I'll see what I can do in my spare time on the on the weeknights. Text it through to Trade Radio, maybe. It's indeed, sweet, indeed. It's sweet. Definitely going to Port Adelaide. He's requested a trade, so we know he wants to go there. Port Adelaide have just about everyone else who wants to wants to go at the club. To their club this off season. Yeah, Zerk Thatcher, Zabarada Galea, who I, I've got no idea how Geelong and other people think that he's worth what he, you know, what they think he is. Evan uh, Soldo was, was another one Evans, that, that yes. you wanted to, to bring up. It's so would sweet. And he's someone we chased last year too. Yeah, we chased Soldo last year. Is Sweet definitely going to Port Adelaide? He he'll be going to Port Adelaide. The question is now though, maybe the matters of how he's going to be utilised are a little bit different. Does that change his uh, you know, opinion? Because he would have made the request early on with the hope of, oh, hang on a moment, you know, Lysett's leaving first or quite football. likely will be departing. I'm going to be getting first team football. I'm going to be getting a first ruck. And it was interesting that that all sort of came through shortly after Port Adelaide pulled out of the race for Grundy. So Indeed. I think he, he had an eye on, he had an, he would have had an eye on that as well, obviously. Yes, but now you can't, you can't play Soldo 
and Sweet together. No, They're both number one rucks. And neither of them are good enough to play forward. So it's interesting to see one of the others going to get that spot. And who? where's the other one sitting? Exactly. In the Sandful mm. with the Port Adelaide Magpies. <laughs> At least they wear the prison bars. <laughs> yes, well, they wear the prison bars. That's for another time, though. But, uh... Uh, other news in terms of off-field uh, news, there's been a, a bit of a coaching – well, I'm going to call it – we'll call it the coaching carousel, I suppose. It's not the ruck merry-go-round, the coaching carousel. Dogs of, I like that. I like that. The coaching carousel. The never-ending ride for us. So the dogs have lost or have let go of a, of a host of uh, people. Mark Webb has gone. We know that. Rowan Smith has gone. Steph Martin, we think, has gone, although Luke Beveridge tried to offer him a, a new deal at that speech he made at the Best and Fair. Uh, I hope so. Keep, keep him, keep him, please. God, keep him, dogs. <laughs> Matt Innes, the high-performance officer, he's gone. Travis Varco has, has left as well. I know the dogs did want to keep him, though. Yep. And they would have looked to have kept Matt Innes too, but yeah. um, obviously West Coast props to props to them. Uh, so there's a, a host of vacancies. The dogs were in for McWalter, Andrew McWalter. He's gone to join Melbourne now. Uh, the latest news that's come through from Tom Morris over the course of the weekend is that the dogs are chasing Justin and, Lepich. And Mark Stevens as well, who brought up that too. So he did. You know, uh, it's obviously, we know Steve has got very close connections within the club. So he does. Um, it, you can genuinely say, not just for Morris' sake, but yeah, the, this is a very aggressive decision. And what we know is that Lepich isn't exactly keen on coaching again, but he likes a challenge in the football department. And where has been our, what's been our weakness <laughs> on the field, off the field, sorry, for a good few years, football department aspects in terms yeah. of, you know, positions of strength. So... And, this is a – we've got to get him, but this would be a, a massive coup. Well, he, he's currently got two roles. He's the head of strategy at Collingwood. He's also their forwards coach. If and he's he fantastic is, at Richmond too. And it seems your, dog, your dog's pretty happy about uh, the news of Lepich as well. He, yes, he is. He's, he's going off. I don't know what he's doing. Uh, Mr. Benji is going crazy at the moment. <laughs> Benji. So could you – like Justin Lepich that, – that actually, you made an interesting point there about not being too keen to coach. Wherever Lepich has gone in his career – Pretty much everywhere, success has followed him. As a player, he won three flags at Brisbane. As an assistant coach, he, he uh, led Richmond to three flags. Obviously, he's played a key role in Collingwood's premiership. The only time he wasn't really successful was when he was the senior coach of Brisbane. And that was a bit unfortunate because that team yeah. was on hiding to nothing. So yeah. I think I think he got sold dry, not because you know, it wasn't a thing, but uh, I thought he was harshly treated at that and point we, in time because we, that team we, was just cooked. We know that the dogs want to... Uh, accommodate Matt Spanger, who's the current forwards coach, into a different role. That opens the door That's to the intention, to anyway. be the forwards That's coach. The I think potentially there might be a little, maybe like a again a, an equivalent side hustle potentially. For uh, I reckon. I, I reckon still think he'd be more the head of football. We could probably utilize other things there too, because it would also, as much as I've also said things about Chris Grant in this side, where we were not convinced with him, this might be beneficial for him to, to lean on someone that has this expertise as well. And it might assist him in getting his development up to scratch and he might be more up to the task. Maybe he is up to it. I don't know. We're only spitballing here. But, you know, getting good opinions, you know, can only be beneficial and they can bounce off each other and that sort of things there too. So hopeful. Quite well, I reckon, I reckon the, he, he could do something like what he's do, does, doing at Collingwood at the moment, two different roles, potentially. I don't know the, the exact specifics, but he could do that. Oh, mm -hmm. that for, him as a forwards coach with Norton, Eugle Hagen, Cody Waitman, potentially one of Lobble Karmas, potentially Jones, with Charlie Clark. Oh, I'll tell you what, that we're, forward line oh, is really good. We're forgetting, an, we're forgetting another name here. 
Bender, like Bedendo. Oh, Bedendo. Yes, like Bedendo. yes. Oh, There's still a few yes, Bulldogs. So, uh, we're still very happy about this guy. <laughs> we got massive faith in him. You know, if, if you thought um, if you thought Matt and I love Josh Shackey, we go nuts over Bedendo. Oh, That's Bedendo. what. At least I certainly do. Mm. But, uh, the dogs have also emerged, and this is this is from Cal Toomey over the weekend as well. The dogs have emerged, emerged as a potential suitor for James Harms. Now. I know some people are all right with this. Some people are not. I'm okay with this under certain conditions. Indeed. indeed. One, of, one of which is that we're not paying James Harms $500,000 a year. Let, let's, just, yes. let's, just, let's just deal with that one right out of the gates. Yep. We can get revenge for the Lockie Hunter deal, okay? So they screwed us there. It's time to say you're coughing up most of the salary. But I st- this is where we would only be probably offering that future third rounder, yeah. isn't but- it? Or whether we get the picks coming back from the Suns for our potential trade for pick four, this, which also could help out. This harms There's a lot trade, of things in the works. This harm trade goes back to the improving bottom six discussion. Like if harms is in, in that sort of 17 to 23 player on your list, that's all right. You know, well, even, well, even not just that too. Even if he's in the 24 to 30 range, yeah. it means someone well, that well, might that not be- have been more ready-made off the chopping block next gets pushed a bit further down. We have a bit more capable, ready-made players to come in to fill a need if need be that would be amazing if that's another is that far down the yeah. picking order if he is yeah i don't think he, he will but that would be amazing uh, no, but and there's other things too like we know that mclean at this point in time still does have a deal on offer so there's a wait and see hawks have loved him for years so we'll see what happens there and but, you've um, mentioned as as well the pick four uh for the for the dog so the dogs still remain the front runners for that and the deal Continues to sound like 10, 17, and a future first in exchange I'm still very, for that. That future first better be getting some great credence with it because, well, it's not going to be some of the players that they've got. Um, because Chris Burgess, uh, who won the uh, Frosty Miller medal, which is the goal kicking in the VFL, I think he's requested a trade to South Australia, so he'll probably be lining up for the Crows next year. Um, it's interesting, you know, I and mean, there's other players too that ideally we would like to see thrown in alongside, like I've mentioned the name a million times, Elijah Hollands, but, you know, he seems to be pretty well set on joining his brother, Carlton. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know if any of the players per se, but there's something that's got to come away and not only, you know, because I'm not a fan of giving up future firsts in, you know, when you're relying on draft picks because it is a massive gamble and, it's very hard to trust us at the best of times. <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen. Well, I, but, I, I like this in a certain way that the dogs are, are trying to avoid what's happened in the past couple of years with Darcy and Eugle Hagen. They want to get themselves a top prospect in, in addition to the father-son. And the yes. fact that Jordan Croft isn't going in the top two gives the dogs a bit more flexibility on that front. A couple of people have pointed out that Croft hasn't actually nominated the dogs as a father-son no. candidate yet. So it's still It'll not a happen. foregone conclusion. No, but that'll be the case. It'll it'll happen. It's just more. I think they're just not wanting to show their hands in the sense of how we're going to get this done. I reckon, because um, he's still got till I can't remember the specific date, but he's still got a fair bit of time for him to nominate anyhow as to where he wants to go. So I don't think there's anything to worry about in that sense. You know, the way that he was talking about it, saying, you know, oh, playing alongside Norton and Jamara and all these types of players would be amazing. You know. He's already frothing at the idea of lining up along these guys. So it's it's just a wait and see. It's more how we're going to try to get him. Because we can get him. You know, even if the dogs just decided to do nothing now, as they are, just take 10 and 70 to the draft. You know, you don't think we're not going to take him? <laughs> you know, of course, we're going to take Croft, but we want to try to get him, which allows us to, to be in a beneficial position to get and, something else. Indeed. And get something Whether that else. 
whether it is Watson, whether it is McKercher, you know, very intrigued to see how we go about this too. I just want to make sure, right, because not that we're going to be able to have any hand in this, but uh, how much we're going to get back for that future first. And it needs to be a swarm of draft picks that are not only are going to be used for the crop deal, but that allows us to unlock a couple of other deals as well there too. You know, it can't just be, here's, here's an extra future first rounder for draft picks to pick up someone that we're already going to pick up. You know, effectively. That's what I need to be cautious on that. I mean, it'll be there's a lot to play out, obviously, over the course of the trade period. A couple of questions that we didn't get to in the in the thank you and a post that we put out ahead of the grand final. Yeah. One from from yes, Dan. That, uh, <laughs> yes, that mysterious episode, which we did, it just didn't get to it. What happened to it? <laughs> yeah, no, I've chucked out that computer. I've had a stern word with it. It's never been used again. Uh, Dan Carson uh, asks, do you think any more players will be delisted and do you think any more should be? That's uh, a conundrum because we're still not sure about what's going, to, what's happening with, uh, with Hayden Crozier as well too. He's another player that I don't believe has yet been offered a deal no. alongside Toby McLean. So it's... It's a very delicate stage, to say the least, for, for both these players because the spots are there, but what, what have we mentioned? I think we're only going to be taking three three players in the draft anyhow. So it's not like we can, you know... Minimum of three players... What, I think we're trying to look at what the pool is minimum of three the, players in the, the free agency period, I think. That's minimum, what minimum of three players in the draft, plus Caulfield. That's four mm-hmm. at this point. And how many absentees already? Uh, I'm just trying to find O'Brien, that now. McComb. O'Brien, McComb, Rark, Hannon, Bruce. Mm-hmm. There's five that are And then Sweet would be six. The trade, that's six. So that's yeah. six with, at the moment, likely four in. So that's still two spots. Now, whether yes. that is McLean, whether that is Crozier, we will find out, won't we? Uh, I, the McLean-Crozier games, those two being played down at Geelong, they threw me off. They kind of felt like farewell games, but... It made no sense at the be, time because the season was still. No, because we're still exactly. I don't think it was a farewell in that sense, to be honest. Personally, I think Crows has been a bit you know, screwed over a little bit because yeah, we would have pl- we would have played him a bit more. But again, different prospects. Uh, Richard's coming on. We thought Crozier's spot was relatively locked the second Eastern would retire, <laughs> but that didn't happen. <laughs> no, it's been amazing how he's ever since that shoulder injury against Melbourne in the twenty twenty one preseason. It's just. Um, yeah. It, it's fallen away. Uh, what else have we got here? Um, aside from Lepic, is there anyone else that you would want to bring in as coach? I, I know there is, so don't lie to me, Nick. I know you've got oh, a name. Indeed, indeed. Indeed it is. I think we've mentioned his name a couple of times before, and yeah. I sort of alluded to it a while back. Uh, was it Jacob Cornsberg, or Jackson Cornsberg? That's the one, sorry, yeah, from the <laughs> Gold Coast VFL team. Gold Coast VFL was a development coach, and I think he was yeah. a senior coach, respectively. And He's got a lot of ties to the Sandringham Football Club. And who was he developing at that point in time, six or so years ago, or five or so years ago at that point? Uh, one, Bailey Smith, who Smith himself has credited to say there's probably arguably no person who's had a great impact on my football, or his football, that is, of course, than Cornsberg. He's announced that he's departing the Suns. It'd be interesting to see whether that's the case. I know there is interest. There is definite interest in him. Just, of course, there's a lot of interest in uh, Justin Lepich. And there's also interest in one David Hale, you know, said who mm-hmm, got the yeah. Hawthorne mids humming this year, despite the absence of Tom Mitchell and Yago Emira. And, you know, they 
Hawthorne's mids, you know, Mitchell's a good player nonetheless, but it really opened up for them so much so that uh, one of their new, relative new players in Will Day uh, won the, the Peter Crimmins medal as their best and fairest, of course. Yes. You know, after this particular season, he was a, a wonderful super coach prospect as well as a, as a defensive mid. So, awesome. Very good against us in that game in Tasmania. Yeah, uh, he, he's, been, he's, been, he's been fantastic this season and rightly so. And even another one too that he would have worked with would have been Jai Newcomb. So, mm-hmm. oh, well, the, yeah. Yeah, we definitely saw a lot of him on that particular day too. He <laughs> <laughs> did indeed. And earlier this year as well. So, I think a lot of teams have seen a lot of Jai Newcomb as well. So, be now, we'll, cool to see what might be the case. I, I would say that would be a very handy coaching partner right there. Hornsberg, Lepich, Laid, Hale. And then you throw in Beveridge. And then Spangers and Balamance, which is where he was meant to be uh, yeah. put for anyways, back when he came to the club. Still it's like not quite, you know, it's, it's not quite 2016 stuff, but it's still pretty, re- good. pretty reasonable. Pretty good. And just one final one up. from... One final one from James Lyack. I hope I've said that right, James. By offering next year's first-round pick, do you think the club is expecting to lose one or more of the out-of-contract stars? Now, he would have included Norton in that list at the time. That's now done. So we've got English, Smith, and Eugle Hagen still out-of-contract currently. Um, I, I, I just had, don't have – I just – the only other thing I thought with the Norton one is that if it's back-ended, it means that we've got the cab space to be able to fit – the, the three remaining players in the deal and the salary, but it's pretty consistently spread across. So it's not front-ended or back-ended. I can't shake this lingering feeling that we're not going to be able to keep all of them. I still think we can, personally. I reckon Jamara's safe as houses. English, I do believe, does or would prefer to stay. I'm quite confident on that too. Yeah, I'm I just feeling... don't want to see us fork, I just want to see us fork out ridiculous sums for him. But because of what's been offered, I'm sure, you know, people will say, oh, how dare you offer these guys five, six-year deals? Well, guess what? Other clubs are going to be offering the same thing, so why the hell not just do the same and keep them? Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what's going to be the case. You know? You feel like Bailey Smith's a worry? That's probably the one worry, but he's in terms of my priorities, he'd be my third priority because it was originally um, Jamara, then Norton, then Smith, then English. But in terms of likelihood of contracts it's of course now norton then it's jamar then to be english then it's smith in terms of likeliness of uh, contracts being agreed to that's my little uh, uh pretty uh, you know uh, guesstimation right there because we know there's a spot for smith too but the question is oh absolutely what he's delivered with what he's delivered he's delivered a bit too but outside that final series has he shown to be Star. Well, even if you even if you look back through that season, the home and away campaign on its own, I remember we would often talk about Smith and go, like he's just not like he's you know he's not really kicking on as we would have hoped. But then he really did turn it on in that final series. But during the home and away campaign, he really struggled. A lot of people forget mm. that. It's funny how final series do that, isn't it? Indeed. That's going to be it for an extended off-season preview episode of the Salty Bulldog. Uh, of course. Stay tuned to Twitter uh, for all the updates throughout the course of the off-season. You'll get all your updates there. Turn on notifications as well to keep up to date with all of that. The website, we'll try and turn out more some pre-season content, uh, www.thesaltybulldog.wixsite.com forward slash home. There's, of course, Facebook uh, and Instagram as well. Nick Galea, take care of your hamstring. It's been great to have you on board. Yes, it is a wonderful time. Uh, the recovery phase is already underway. 
hopefully looking forward to 2024 and a much better season. And we're looking forward to having us uh, congratulate the dogs on the appointment of Justin Lepich. Fingers crossed, please. And a 70th anniversary of that 54 flag. I've been Matthew Donald. To all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in. We look forward to joining you throughout the course of the off-season. But until then, take care.